Okay, everybody got to get off that, got, got that off your chest, you feel better, you know, share that with another human being to confide in them what really, really upsets you, your pet peeve. All right. You guys want to hear mine? So I, I didn't even, I, I've got a couple, like, I'm not an angry guy, but I've got a couple of things that get under my skin and get on, get on my nerves, a couple of pet peeves. Uh, but I'll, I'll, share, I'll share one of them, though, for you guys, okay? Uh, and I did not even realize I had this pet peeve until I became a parent, until I became a father. Uh, and I discovered, and this is going to sound so obvious and dub, but I discovered I don't like it when people put things in my drink, like my beverage. Like, I'm at the dinner table, I got a drink. I don't like when people put their hands in my drink. Like, it's, okay, I don't like when people throw food in my drink, stick something in my drink. I, you think, I don't even, that's not something you deal with on the day-to-day, but you've got little kids, you've got toddlers, and it happened, Derek says, I don't tolerate it in my house. Anyway, my kids, my kids would throw food and land in my drink, they'd just stick their old hand in my drink, and I did not, I did not realize how much I'm like, no, that's mine, do not touch that, that's really gross. Um, and, and especially now, I don't know, it just, that's just something that, for some reason, it brought out the worst to me. I'm like, man, I, I can't stand this. I hate this. Don't do this. That's gross. Um, that's a pet peeve of mine. So talking about pet peeves, talking about things that annoy us, and, and some of y'all may have been more serious than annoyance. Like, you'd straight up say, I hate blank. I hate this. I hate that. Uh, and, and I had you talk about that because I want you to think about something that maybe you've not thought that deeply about before. What does God hate, right? What's something that God hates? We may not think about God hating things, right? Because we think about God's loving, and he is, right? We think about, oh, God's a God of love, God is love, and that's absolutely true, he is. But also, God's not one-dimensional, right? He is a multifaceted emotional being like you. He experiences the full range of emotion like you. You are made in his image, so you are not more emotionally complex than God is, right? Does that make sense? So yes, God is love. Yes, God is merciful and slow to anger, but there's things that God hates. The Bible tells us about some of them. God hates evil. God hates injustice, right? Injustice, people causing other people to suffer. God is not about that. And he says, I hate that. But there's one more thing that he hates that's gonna set up where, where we're gonna focus tonight, where we're going tonight, and it's this. God hates pride. God hates pride. All throughout scripture, man, you're going to see this repeat again and again and again and again. And we'll talk about why. Here's two quick verses, though, on it from the Proverbs. Proverbs 16:5. the Lord detests the proud. That, that's a strong word, detest. You can't stand the proud. You can't stand the proud. Proverbs 8, 13 says, I hate, I there being the personification of wisdom or the wisdom of God, says, I hate pride and arrogance. And again and again and again throughout Scripture, we see that again, that God hates pride. He hates arrogance. Why is that? God doesn't want us to be proud and self-reliant. He wants us to be humble, right? He wants us to be humble. God hates pride and loves humility. What do, what do I mean when I say pride? Because I know some of you guys grew up, man, pride's a good thing. And so what I, what I don't mean by pride, I don't mean good self-esteem, a good self-concept, a healthy self-image, right? That, that kind of thing, uh, self self-concept. Because maybe you're raised man, to have that, man. Let's have good, healthy self-esteem. No, the, that, that's not what we're talking about with pride. Yeah, God, God does want you, right, to, to, to have good self-esteem. Biblical humility is not being all down in the dumps uh, and depressed and, and I'm a lowly nobody with low, low self-esteem. No, it's having a, a biblical, healthy evaluation of yourself. That's not what we're talking about with pride. Pride, we're talking about an arrogance, that is self-focused, self-centered. I don't need anybody, and, and namely, I don't need God. 
that's what, that's what God can't, can't deal with, that kind of pride that makes you so arrogant uh, that you're not humble, you're not, you're not teachable, you can't hear from God, you can't be guided uh, by God, and, and, and your life is so self-focused that, that you don't love God, you don't love others. I mean, he, doesn't, he doesn't want us to be prideful in that way, he doesn't want us to take credit for ourselves, but instead he wants us to live lives that do the opposite, to focus on him and give him glory. So instead of boasting and being prideful and making our lives about us, and our glory and making our name great and a big deal. He wants us to focus on him and give him glory. Think about it. God gives us so many things. God gives us salvation. God gives us freedom from sin. He gives us love and peace and blessings. He gives us a home forever in heaven with him when this life is over. And we did nothing to earn it or deserve it. We didn't save ourselves. God did that. Amen. He saved us. He set us apart. He puts his Holy Spirit to work within us to make us more like Christ. He makes us righteous. He makes us holy. And all the glory for that, all the credit for that goes to him, right? That's not because of any good thing that we've done. He gets all the credit. He gets all the glory for that. And I want to ask this question to help us think about this before we get where we're going. Why does God want all the glory? Why does God want all the credit? Why does God want the focus to be on himself. Man, you, you could read, read that and think about that and think, man, does God have an ego problem, right? What, 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 what's the issue where God wants so much of the focus on himself? No, God does not have an ego problem, but we do, but we do. And this is to protect us from the worst parts of ourselves, to pre- protect us from our pride, our arrogance, which is so easy for us to slip into. The Lord says, no, all the glory is gonna go to me because man, we, we tend to slip into thinking, we're entitled, or I deserve all this mercy, I deserve all this grace, I deserve all these blessings. God says, no, all the glory goes to me, because I don't want you to start thinking that you somehow overcame sin on your own, right? That you somehow may, may have all these blessings because of your own, your own goodness, or you did everything right. I don't want you to mistakenly make a false God out of your own ability, your own ability uh, to, to, to do good um, and, and stop trusting me and me alone for salvation. And for that reason, God says, I'm not going to share the credit. I'm not going to share the glory because it's bad for us, right? It's for our good that he gets all the glory, all the credit for that, to help us remember where to turn to when we need peace, when we need grace, when we need to experience his love. We're not going to find it just deep down inside ourselves. We're only going to find it in him. You guys tracking with me? So God is not some giant egomaniac, right? That's like, I need all the attention on myself. He wants us to make a big deal about him. Because he's the only one that can actually help people. Think about it. If I make my whole life about making Matt Drain famous, right? If I try to be as popular as I can be and make my whole life about making me as big a deal as I can, and I draw a big crowd, at the end of the day, I can't help those people with the deep existential problems of life, right? Can I forgive their sins? No. Can I cure their depression? Can I give them everlasting peace, right? Can I save them, right, from, from, from being separated from God? No. Right? So if I make my, the focus of my life me and making me popular and famous and a big deal, uh, man, that's a big waste because all the people I'm going to attract, I can't actually help them. Right? Instead, God would have our lives be big neon signs pointing at him because he's the one that can't actually help with those things. He's the one that can give man, freedom from temptation and addiction. He's the one that can break bondage off our life, set us free from sin, give us eternal life and hope. So, so having us direct ourselves towards him is actually the most loving, selfless thing God can do. Does that make sense? You guys following the line of thinking there, right? A loving God is going to say, hey, I want all the focus on me because I'm the one that can actually help people. And if you put the focus on yourself, 
that's not actually going to help you or the people that you're drawn to yourself. God says, I don't want you to become prideful and self-absorbed because people are never going to find real peace or fulfillment only within themselves. And they're not going to find it in another human being or an object or an activity. They're only going to find ultimate satisfaction and joy in the Lord. And it's for that reason that God demands glory so the people of the world know where they can find hope and salvation. So if your life is making a big deal about Jesus and giving glory to God, the people in your life, they know where they can turn to if they want to find the same peace that you have. If they want to know, hey, where did he get that peace? Man, where did she get that joy? If your life is glorifying Jesus, well, they're going to know exactly where to go. The inverse, if I'm just boasting about me and I'm bragging about me and I'm making me a big deal, where does that direct people to? Just to me, and I can't help them, right? Not really, not in a meaningful, eternal way. So the Lord hates pride because it keeps people from humbling themselves and turning to him. But our culture, man, our culture is full of pride, right? Our culture is almost defined by pride. Our culture is one that lifts up the arrogant, the entitled, the self-righteous, the self-absorbed. It seems to favor those who boast and brag and make a big deal about themselves, right? Those are the people that rise to the top of the culture that are just boastful, bragging on themselves, look at me, self-promotion, right? These people rise to the top of this culture. But these people are not the ones the Lord chooses to use. These are not the people God chooses to use. These people are popular one day, but then they're forgotten the next, right? Y'all have been on social media long enough to see someone get their 15 minutes and then no one remembers them anymore. And these also are not the people, even though they may find some success and popularity in the culture, these are not the people God uses to make a lasting impact for his kingdom and for his glory. He's looking for humble people to do that with. So our series this semester has been called Influencers. Right? We've been going through the Old Testament looking at people of influence that God used for his kingdom and for his glory to see what we can learn from their lives so we can also be people that God can use and to bless the people around us, to lead and influence the people around us and draw them closer to Jesus. So we talked about Moses and Joshua and last week Jackie talked about Ruth and we've already learned a lot so far from all of their lives. If you missed any of those Hey, it's okay. We record all our messages. You can go back and listen to those on the Chi Alpha podcast and catch up, but you're also going to be able to just hang out tonight even if you miss, missed them all. Uh, but tonight we're going to pick up right where we left off with, with Jackie's message about Ruth uh, and, and at that same time in Israel's history. So this is the time of the judges. This is the time of the judges, and it's a dark time of moral chaos for Israel, just a dark time where everyone's just doing whatever they want. Right? Judges says that in that time, everyone just did what was right in their own eyes. Basically, people did whatever seemed right to them. They just did what they want. Does that sound like today? Right? Does that sound like 2022? Uh, Memphis, Tennessee, it does, right? Where people just kind of do what they want. Um, and that causes a lot of moral chaos and darkness in the culture. And this is, this is where we find ourselves, uh, where we're going to pick up uh, with tonight's message. Everyone just doing what they want. There's a desperate need for godly leadership. And that sets the stage for how the Lord's going to provide that leadership through the prophet Samuel. Samuel's going to be our focal uh, person for tonight. And rather than having one main text, we're going to look at a series of verses that are going to span the life of Samuel and really highlight the idea for us of the importance of humility and leadership. So we said God hates pride, God opposes the prideful, but God loves humility, and he's drawn towards humility. And when he sees a humble heart, he says, that's a woman, that's a man that I can use, right, that I can speak to, that I can guide, direct, that I can bless because of their humility. So we're going to learn about the importance 
of humility studying the life of Samuel. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 1. The verses are going to be uh, behind me, uh, but you can follow along in your Bible as well. I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump uh, here into 1 Samuel chapter 1. Father, again, thank you for the opportunity to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ tonight. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help me to communicate, God, exactly what you want spoken and nothing else. God, would you prepare our hearts beforehand to receive your word, make our hearts good soil for your word to implant in and grow and grow a harvest of faith, a harvest of righteousness in each of us as you shape and mold us to be the men and women you want us to be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So chapter one of 1 Samuel opens with the story of a woman named Hannah. Right? Hannah is man, a really, really interesting biblical figure. As we read about Hannah, Hannah is married but cannot uh, conceive. She's having trouble having a baby, and this really breaks her heart, really grieves her heart because she desperately man, wants to have a baby, wants to give birth. Uh, and so she's grieved. She is crying out to God about this. God, um, and help me. Have mercy on me. I want to conceive. I want, I want to be able to give birth. Uh, being able to have children was a big deal in that culture. I know it's a big deal today, too, but, but so much more is a, a huge deal in that culture. And for a woman that wasn't able to have kids, I mean, that, that was seen uh, really as a curse upon their life. And so she's crying out to God. Uh, man, even humiliating herself, man, calling out to God in God's presence, uh, saying, God, would you please bless me with a child? And guess what? God hears her, and God does bless her. She, she, she conceives a, a son uh, with her husband, gives birth to the son. Um, God heard her prayer, and so she gives birth to a son, and they named the boy Samuel. Samuel literally means God has heard. Right? She prayed to God. God heard. God answered her prayer, and she has this boy Samuel. Samuel means God has heard. And what was the um, custom, the law at that time, is for the firstborn son of every family belonged to the Lord. I saw the firstborn livestock and the first fruits of the crops, all that belonged to the Lord. And so you would bring your firstborn son to God, present them to the priest, uh, and they would either then go into service of the ministry, man, go into service uh, there, there, there with the priests and, and doing the work of the Lord there, or you could redeem them, you could buy them back, right? So you could bring a sacrifice, that I'm honoring God, here's, here's my firstborn, I'm going to pay this to buy, buy them back, and they're going to stay in my household, or again, you could just straight up give them to them, and then they're going to be in the service of the Lord for life. Uh, but but man, man, Hannah's heart was, was she felt so honored and blessed by God. She wanted to, to, to bless God and, and, uh, and, and, and show how thankful she was. And man, I, I do want, I want to give my son to the work of ministry, give my son back to God. So as soon as he was old enough, right, as soon as he was weaned old enough, man, she, she brings him to the, the priest. There's a man named Eli, and he, he starts man, working there at a young age. They're in the tabernacle doing the work of the ministry. So Samuel grows up at a really young age, and he grows up in church. Some of y'all, some of y'all say, I grew up in church, right? As, as, as early as I can remember, uh, I was in church. My first memory is, is being under the pew, playing with my toy cars, right? Well, some work, preacher's preaching way too long, right? Some of you guys grew up in church. Samuel grew up in God's presence. He grew up in the tabernacle. This is where he, he also went to sleep there. Like, his whole life was there. And so, uh, I mean, th th this is where we find Samuel. But before we, before we leave Hannah, I want to look at something in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Uh, Hannah, after, after, after dedicating I and mean, giving, giving her son Samuel, she prays a prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord, um, but it's also a prophetic prayer. Hannah's prayer prophetically sets up the themes for the rest of the book of First and Second Samuel. Uh, themes of humility, themes of being able to listen to the Lord, themes of the way God exalts some, 
uh, and humiliates others, and it's about pride, and it's about humility. So I'm, it's a long prayer. I'm just going to look at a couple of verses for it. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, starting in verse 7. Again, this is a prophetic prayer uh, that Hannah, Hannah's praying here that sets up the theme for the rest of the book. So the Lord humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. It's not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. He'll give power to his king and exalt the strength of his anointed one. These are ideas that are going to echo throughout scripture again and again and again. That God uh, opposes the proud, but he exalts the humble. Uh, James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We see this in different forms all throughout the Bible. God hates pride, opposes the proud, and he, he sees the humble, the lonely, the poor, and it's those that he exalts. It's those that he uses. Again and again, we see this. The Lord exalts the humble, and he humbles the proud and the arrogant. Right? And so this is prophetically kind of setting up the theme for tonight. So Samuel does. He grows up. Uh, verse 26 says the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and favor with the Lord and men. So he was living a life that meant God was pleased with him, but also people were noticing, hey, this is a dude of humility, of integrity. And this is a guy I want to be friends with. Right? He has favor with God and men. In chapter 3, God specifically calls Samuel to himself. Man, it's a special moment of calling him to ministry and telling him how he's going to use him for his glory. Uh, again, Samuel's still pretty young here, uh, and he's sleeping there, right? right in, in the tents there, there with the, with the priests. Uh, they're, they're near the presence of God, uh, and it's one, one evening that he's sleeping there, and he hears someone calling his voice. Samuel, what's up? Who's talking to me, right? Is one, is one of the other kids? What, what's going on here? Samuel, he, he doesn't know. He gets up and he goes to Eli. Eli's the, the high priest. And he says, uh, Eli, Eli, did you call me? Here I am. What you need? It's the middle of the night, but man, I'm, I'm ready for it. Man, you got some work for me to do? No, go back to bed. Right, again, again, go, tries to go back to bed again. He hears Samuel. He goes back to Eli. Eli, what's going on here, man? Are you calling me? And Eli's like, it's not me. I think the Lord's calling you, Samuel. I think God's trying to speak to you. So the next time you hear that, just say, Lord, here I am. I'm listening. Speak to me. And so that's what he does. Samuel goes back to bed. And again, he hears God calling his name. And in verse 10, he says, speak. Your servant is listening. I'm listening, God. What do you have to say to me? Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do a shocking thing in Israel. Something you need to know about Eli and the high priest. Uh, the, the, the Eli, his sons were corrupt they were not good dudes, right? These guys were working in the ministry. That They were priests, but they were not good. They were corrupt. Uh, and, and one of the things God speaks uh, to Samuel is that he's going to judge Eli's family for their sin. He's going to reject them. Uh, and then also that he's going to promote Samuel to be a new prophet and a spiritual leader for Israel. And God had a special message, a special calling for Samuel. He says, Samuel, you're a guy that I can use. Um, and, uh, and I see that humility, that integrity, uh, and I'm going to use you to be my leader for Israel. The next couple of chapters uh, are about uh, military conflict between uh, the nation of Israel and the Philistines, right? These people are constantly at war through the books of 1 and 2 Samuel. Um, and then in chapter 7, uh, God, God uses Samuel to call his people to a place of repentance, and so Samuel speaks a prophetic message, calling these people to turn away from idols, really devote themselves to God. He says, if you do this, God's going to give you favor against the Philistines. Uh, and he prays, uh, and God does. He def God defeats the Philistines when Samuel prays uh, on Israel's behalf. 
Um, Samuel's growing old about this time, right? Samuel's growing old in chapter 8, and his sons, Samuel's sons, do not serve the Lord as Samuel did. And the people start to ask Samuel, saying, hey, would you appoint a king to lead us, as other nations have? We want a king, right? All the other neighboring countries, they got kings. Israel doesn't have a king. We want a king. Tell God to give us a king. Now, Israel didn't have a king, right? They had a, they had a much better system at this time, right? God himself was their leader. And God would give them prophets to speak to them, to guide and direct them. But, but they didn't need a king because they had God. They had the Lord to speak and guide and direct them as a nation through the prophets. Uh, but the people say, man, no, we, we want like a regular king that we can see and touch. And he wears the crown. Uh, we, want, we want that whole deal. And, and this grieves the heart of Samuel because he realizes what they're saying, what they're really saying, what they're really doing. And so he goes and he talks to God about it. Um, this is uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7. This is how God responds. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they're rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. So so Samuel's taking it to heart because he's the spiritual leader of Israel here as the prophet. And God says, Samuel, it's not you they're rejecting. They're rejecting me. They're rejecting God. They're basically saying, "I I want a human king. I don't want God to be my king anymore. They're rejecting the Lord to follow a human leader. Uh, God's heart is also grieved and he's broken. He says, you know what, we're going to do it. We're going to do it for them. This is what they want. We're going to give them a king. And so God agrees. And after this, Samuel warns the people. He says, okay, God said yes, but let me. here's what's up, y'all. You're not going to like it, right? God's going to give you a king, but I'm going to tell you now, it's not going to be a good thing, right? Uh, and, and he warns them about all the problems and trouble that comes with the monarchy, right? He says, when you got a king... Let me tell you about this thing called taxes that happens, right? So all your best stuff goes to the king. All your best money goes to the king. The best of your land, it goes to the king. Best of your crops, it goes to the king. Your sons, conscripted to the king's army. Your daughters, they're going to be conscripted to work in the, in the king's palace. Like, you're saying you want a king, but you don't realize all the problems that go with it. Do we ever want stuff that's not good for us? Yeah. So we can relate a little bit. They want a king, and, and, and Samuel said, okay, but I'm warning you, you're not going to like it. But all the same, God, God, man, God, God agrees, and he searches for a king uh, for the people. In chapter 9, Samuel encounters the man that's going to be king. He is a man named Saul, tall, man, good-looking. If you were to picture what you would picture a, a good king to look like, man, that, that's Saul, right? On the outside, he, he is a great-looking leader. Samuel finds him while Saul is out looking for his father's lost donkeys. Some donkeys got away. Saul's out looking for him. He encounters Samuel there, and the Lord speaks to Samuel's heart. He says, this is the man. This is the man that's going to be the first king of Israel. Samuel anoints him with oil. He gives him instructions on what he should do. And there's an interesting verse here where it says God changed Saul's heart in this moment. Saul prophesies uh, as part of a procession of prophets. Samuel presents Saul to the people, uh, and Saul, Saul becomes an important leader for them for a season. I mean, he leads them uh, in victory against the Ammonites, and Israel celebrates them. Yay, we got our new king. Let's go. Uh, they're excited about Saul as their king. In chapter 12, uh, Samuel's still going to be alive for a few more chapters, but this is his farewell speech, like his farewell address. Uh, He speaks to the people, and something interesting here, so Samuel's old, he's been ministering his whole life, from like, remember he was raised in the church as a little boy, and now he's an an old man, and he's ministered his whole life, and and look at what the people are able to say about him, again, to show us his humility, his integrity, look what the people say about him in verse 4, 1 Samuel 12, 4, it says, you have never cheated or oppressed us, Samuel, 
and you've never even taken a single bribe. They saw a lot of examples of corrupt leadership, right? The, the, the family of high priests before him, uh, what was corrupt. I mean, they saw, they saw other leaders of other nations. They saw a lot of corruption. They were beginning to see corruption. And Saul, they said, not with you, Samuel. Man, you never took advantage of us. You never took bribes. You always had integrity. You're always that humble man. You never oppressed us. You never cheated us. And the people acknowledge, they acknowledge Samuel and the man of God that he was. And so Samuel then responds, man, he, he has this farewell address and he warns the people, listen, I know you're gonna be tempted to turn away from God and don't do it. Don't do it. Don't turn away from idols. Don't turn away to sin. Continue to pursue the Lord. This is verse 21. It says, don't go back to worshiping worthless idols that can't help you or rescue you. They're totally useless. The Lord will not abandon his people because that would dishonor his great name. For it's pleased the Lord to make you his own people. Verse 23, as for me, I will certainly not sin against the Lord by ending my prayers for you, and I'll continue to teach you what is good and right. So we're talking about being a person of influence, talking about being a leader, one that influences others, is used by God uh, in, the, in the lives of the people around you. And I think there's two huge things here. He says, uh, even though I'm getting old, as long as I'm alive, I'm going to keep praying for you. I'm going to keep trying to teach you what's good and right. And a person who wants to be an influencer for God, we talked about this a little bit with Moses, is a person that's going to be praying for people, right? You're not going to have any influence over people you don't pray for. Right, because you, you you can only influence people that you love, and if you love them, you're gonna be praying for them. And Samuel says, "I'm old, I know, you know, I'm, I'm departing right pretty soon, uh, but I'm gonna keep praying for y'all, and I'm gonna keep modeling for you guys what's right. I'm gonna continue to to use this position I have as an influencer to influence you guys in what is good and righteous." So I mentioned we're starting to see some corruption in Saul. On the outside, he seemed like a great leader, but in these next few chapters, we're gonna see his. Downfall. In chapter 13, uh, Samuel rebukes Saul because Saul sins greatly. Uh, they're about to go into battle. Uh, in his preparation from the battle, they're going to make an offering to God, a sacrifice to God. Saul gets impatient, though. He said, man, why, why should we wait for Samuel to make this offering? I'll just do it myself, right? And, and he's the king. He was not supposed to make sacrifices, right? This is something that, that just... Um, and the Levites, the priests were supposed to do. Uh, he is the king, should not have been doing this, but he didn't want to wait for Samuel. So I'll just do it myself. And he made the sacrifice. He made the offering. And so the Lord responds through Samuel in verse 13. This is yeah, chapter 13, verse 13. It says, you have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You've not kept the command of the Lord that God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out Another man, after his own heart, and appointed him ruler of his people because you've not kept the Lord's command. He says, you know what? I'm going to look for someone else to be king uh, because, because your heart is not right. Your heart's not right towards me. Uh, you're not that humble uh, kind of leader that I want to use. So the Lord speaks uh, through Samuel, um, and, he, and he says that... Uh, he, said, he says, give this, word, give this word there to Saul that he's being rejected. Um, in, in chapter 15, man, Saul gets worse. You'd think this would be a wake-up call, like, oh, I messed up big time. I need to get it right. I need to be a better leader. But, but Saul doesn't learn from this. In fact, it gets worse. Um, God, God speaks uh, through Samuel to Saul that Saul needs to lead the Israelites into battle against the nation of the Amalekites. And in this battle, man, they're to completely destroy the Amalekites. The Amalekites were evil 
and wicked, uh, and, and, and their, their, their existence was going to cause suffering in the world because of their wickedness and also lead Israel into sin and idolatry. And he says, man, I need you to go uh, and, and wipe, wipe these people out. Um, but Saul is incomplete in his obedience. He does, not, he does not wipe them out completely. Instead, he allows his men to keep the livestock and the treasure from the battle as their spoils. And, and God says in that moment that he was grieved for ever making Saul his king. Uh, and so Samuel comes after the battle, right? And so the, the army has taken livestock and plunder and treasure as their spoils. Uh, and, and Samuel said, didn't, didn't God say to go ahead and wipe out all of it, right? Well, isn't that what God asked? Um, this is verse 19. So this is uh, 1 Samuel 15, 19. And he asked him, why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? So part of arrogance and pride is an inability to admit when you're wrong, right? And Saul's got that big time. He just can't admit when he's wrong. He says, I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, and I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. He said, yeah, yeah, I didn't wipe them out completely. We, we didn't keep the best of the stuff because that seemed like a waste, right, just to, just to destroy the best stuff. But it's all right because we're going to use it to make a sacrifice to God. See? See? Uh, we didn't obey God, but we're going to use it to make a sacrifice to God, so it's all right. Verse 22, Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? This is key. This is critical. Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you've rejected the command of the Lord, he's rejected you as king. So Saul, you're done. You're done. This is, this, this is too much. God wants obedience more than sacrifice. And it's the same from our lives as well. Man, if, God, if God's given us a clear command what to do, he would much rather us obey that command and make up excuses. So God, I didn't obey, but look, I have this better idea. Here's what I want to do. It said, no, he says, obedience is better than sacrifice. Better than you trying to make it up or, or make it right. God just wants you to obey. And when he, when he speaks to you, when he guides you, when he directs you, when he gives you a command from his word, he wants you to obey that, not try to come up with a better way to do it, right? It's, it's the pride in us that tries to come up with a better way or makes an excuse. There's like, God, is that really the best way? Or did God, did God really say he wanted me to do that? And starts asking those questions. That's the pride. Humility says, yes, Lord, and whatever you want me to do. Yes, Lord, I'll obey. And so obedience is better than sacrifice. It's so huge for us to get deep down in us, but man, Saul, man, he didn't pass the test. He failed, and he's been rejected as king. Do you guys know who's, who's next king? Saul's been rejected. Who's the next king? Yeah, the next king is this guy named David, and I'm not going to talk a lot about him because he's going to be next week, right? Um, but the Lord leads Samuel to the house of a man named Jesse to anoint who's going to be the next king of Israel. Jesse's son David is not there when Samuel shows up because he's out in the field because he had a job as a what? A shepherd, right? So he's taking care of the sheep out in the field. Uh, he's been fighting off wolves and, and bears and lions, whatever tries to attack the sheep. Man, he's beating them down. He's like, get away from my sheep. I'm going to protect these sheep. Uh, he's, he's maybe got his harp out there, and he's writing songs. He's writing music to God. He's like the musician, poet, but also like the tough guy, warrior. David's got it all. And so he, he's out there, but he's not, when Samuel shows up at Jesse's house, um, he, he's out in the field doing his thing. And so 
Samuel's looking at the sons of Jesse and he's like, oh, is this one going to be the king? Or maybe this one's going to be the king. Verse 7, uh, this is 1 Samuel. Um, yeah, uh, this is going to be verse 7 here. Uh, the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or heights, for I have rejected him. This is one of, the, one of David's brothers that Jesse's looking at saying, or I'm sorry, Samuel's looking at saying, I bet this one's going to be king. He said, no, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Right? People judge by outward appearance. People try to size people up, put them in categories, or I can tell just by looking at you that you're this or that. It says God's not that way, right? He doesn't even look at the outside so much. He's looking at the heart. Is this a humble heart that I can use? Or is this a heart of integrity? Is this person going to be uh, obedient and humble before me? Or is this a proud person? So that, again, we talk about this culture as one that promotes the prideful, the boastful, the self-promoters. Uh, but God says, I can't do anything with that, right? And I'm looking for a humble heart. So the things that this world exalts and promotes, it's the opposite when God's looking for a leader. So it says, Samuel, don't, don't judge by the outside. The Lord doesn't see things the way people see them. People judge by outward appearance. Does our culture judge by outward appearance? Put so much emphasis on looks. God says, I'm not that way. I judge people by the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. So Samuel says, okay, Jesse, it's not any of these guys. Do you have any other sons? Yes, I've got a son named David. Uh, brings him in. Of course, uh, David uh, is, is the choice to be king, and, and Samuel anoints David to be king. Um, Again, we're going to talk more about David next time, but David ends up in the Saul, and Saul's courts as a musician. He fights Goliath, uh, wins many victories. Um, in chapter 25, Samuel dies, and all of Israel assembled to mourn for him, it says in verse 1. Man, the, whole, the, whole, the whole nation was grieved to lose Samuel because he's this mighty man of integrity, this humble prophet of God. Uh, the whole of Israel assembled to mourn for him. So what about us? What can we learn from all of this? The Lord was able to use Samuel because he was humble. And he rejected Saul because Saul was prideful and arrogant. So what about us? Are we, are we humble uh, or are we prideful and arrogant? Are we humble and relying on God or are we arrogant and self-reliant, relying on ourselves? Do we obey the Lord and submit to him or are we insecure and easily influenced by peer pressure and pride. Man, with Saul, yes, he was prideful, but he also was insecure and he gave into peer pressure. One of the excuses he gave as far as why he, he didn't destroy everything is he said, well, my men, they really wanted to keep the best stuff, right? And, and that peer pressure, that influence, even though he was the king, he was influenced by, by his army, his soldiers, and, and he gave into what they wanted. Uh, and, and when we're prideful, it's often coupled with insecurity. We're, we're overcompensating. We're making up for something. And that insecurity is going to make us influenced by everything but God, influenced by other people's opinions of us, right? Influence of what the, the culture celebrates uh, and, and instead of being influenced by the Lord. The Lord opposes the proud, but he uses and he speaks to the humble. It's important for us to realize that God is not a good luck charm to, to follow us around and bless everything that we're doing and submit to us and do our bidding, but rather our lives are going to be blessed and we're going to be used as influencers for his kingdom when we submit in obedience to him. When we submit to what he wants, when we're obedient to him. Contrasting Saul and Samuel, Saul was dishonest and impatient. He lacked integrity. He couldn't admit when he was wrong. He seems like a good leader on the outside, but he lacks the humility to be able to hear the Lord and be obedient to him. 
which in, in, in reality makes him a terrible leader. But Samuel is not this way. Samuel is humble. Samuel had integrity. David as well. David, on the outside, may not have been the ideal candidate for leadership. When they're looking for the king, they're not looking in the fields for shepherd boys. They, they like to play on the harp to be their king, right? Uh, on the outside, he may not have looked like a good king, but he was the perfect candidate for leadership because of that, that inward humility. God looks at the heart. David modeled, modeled humility. Again, we're not going to get into to, to David's story, but he modeled humility. When, when Samuel anoints him as king, David then doesn't march into the throne room and say, all right, Saul, your time's up. Get out of here. You're done. I'm the king now. He doesn't do that. No. He, he serves Saul. He serves as like a court musician. He serves in the army and ends up becoming a commander uh, in the army. He serves until it's God's time to exalt him. Right? He's, he's humble and he's patient. He's willing to wait on the Lord in that way. And that's an encouragement to us. Don't fight for a position of leadership. Don't fight for a position of power. Instead, humble yourself. Find somewhere to help. Find somewhere to serve. And the Lord's going to lift you up to those positions of influence in his timing. You're a whole lot more useful to God when you're humble. The humble person who's submitted to God and completely trusts the Lord. Uh, and they don't have to bully or manipulate other people to try to get their way. Because they trust me. God's in control of my life. Right? God's in control of my life. He's looking out for what's best to me. I don't have to manipulate every situation. I don't have to boast or throw my weight around because uh, God's looking out for me. Amen? That's how he wants us to be as well. Our very best example of this kind of humility, uh, this kind of heart that's just yielded to God, obedient to whatever God wants, uh, is in Jesus. Right? Jesus was the perfect example of this kind of humility. The humble person, the humble life, totally submitted to the Lord. Uh, this will be our last verse that we'll look at, and we'll close up here. This is Philippians chapter 2. Uh, this is Paul writing to the church in Philippi about Jesus. Look at this example of humility. Paul says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Here, here's the attitude. It says, about Jesus, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, and he took the humble position of a servant and was born as a human being. When he appeared in a human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus humbled himself, right? He was the king of the universe, and he made himself a humble human being. He took up the cross, and he suffered, and he died in our place to break the bondage of sin and death off of our life to reconcile us to God forever. Verse 9 continues, Therefore God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. The, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbled himself, right? Uh, Jesus was God. He was entitled to everything that that means, man, all, all the power, all the authority. Uh, he could enjoy the comforts of everything because he, he was God. He chose to leave all of that, humble himself, become a human being, and suffer alongside of us, and because of his great love for us, and because of his great humility. Jesus humbled himself, and for that, he gets all the glory forever. He alone deserves it, right? He's the only one that went to the cross for me, right? He's the only one that died for me. He's the only one that saved me. So it's all about him, all for his glory. If we want to boast about something, we should boast about how good God is, right? I want to boast about how good Jesus is, how he's helped me, and the, the, the hope, the peace that I've found in him. That, that's the only thing worth boasting about. So I'm going to humble myself knowing that without Jesus, I'm not anything. I'm not anything. I'll serve others in humility 
and make my life more about the needs of others than getting that top spot, that place of honor for myself. And I'm going to give God the glory that he deserves because he's the only answer, right? He's the only one that can help the people around us. I want my life to be a big neon sign just pointing people to Jesus, not pointing people to me because I can't help them. I know that God can, so I want to be humble and make my life point to him. The story of Samuel teaches us that the Lord rejects the proud, but he uses the humble to make a profound impact for his glory. Samuel is a literal kingmaker, right? You guys heard that term, kingmaker? This is someone that's such a huge influence. He literally, with God, you know, God used him to choose the king for a whole nation, right? Talk about influence. That is a massive, massive amount of influence. And when you humble yourself, man, man like Samuel, say, man, I'm going to be humble. I'm going to be obedient to God. God can use you to be a massive person of influence. Now, you may not anoint the next king of Memphis, right? Or, you know, it, it's going to look different for you. But God will use you to be a prophetic voice to the people around you, to speak words of life uh, to the people around you that draws them man, out of, of, of lifestyles and self-destructive habits and behaviors and draws them into relationship with God. He wants to use you that way, right? He wants you to call Man, out things and, and call, call other people into leadership positions. Uh, he wants you to be an influence to the people around you, man, your classmates, your friends, your family members, this campus, this city. He wants to use you that way, but the people he uses are humble people, not proud people. Um, and so if there's any pride or arrogance, we're being honest in ourselves, say, man, there, there is a little bit of pride in me. And again, remember, when we're talking about pride, I don't mean like pride and humility, that God wants you to have like low self-esteem or low self-concept. That's not what I mean by pride. I mean that arrogance. It's like nobody can tell me anything or I won't obey God. That's what he's wanting to crush and eliminate in us, right? He wants us to bring us to the place where we are totally dependent on him, totally relying on him. Say, God, uh, you know, bring me to that place of humility uh, where I know that all my strength comes from you. It's not about me and my life is just pointing to you and giving you glory. Amen. I'd love for us to pray that, that God, God would do that in our hearts. Um, that, that he would may create humility there. If humility doesn't come easy to us, and I don't know that it comes easy to anybody, but God would really help us there. Say, God, the places where I am prideful, and maybe it's just growing out of insecurity, or maybe it's feeling like, man, if I don't promote myself, nobody else will, or if I don't look for, for number one, no one else will. But whatever's the root of that, man, God wants to deal with that. He wants to minister to that. He wants us to make us into those people that would be humble and obedient to him, those people of integrity that he can use. Amen. Let's bow your heads. We're going to pray. Uh, Father, um, and we thank you for the example of Samuel, of his life. So much, so much packed in the story uh, that, that we can learn from, that we can emulate God. And I pray that you would make us those humble people, those humble men and women of character. God, that we, God, we wouldn't uh, be corrupted. God, we wouldn't take advantage of people. God, that we would be humble and make our lives about your glory, about seeking after you, about being obedient to you. That the people that, that come to us, God, you would make us signs that point them to Jesus. That we wouldn't waste our life trying to make our name famous, our name great. And instead, God, we would point to you. We'd point people where they can really find their hope, where they can really find life and joy and fulfillment. God, use us like you use Samuel. God, shape and mold our character. Make us the people you want us to be. Where there is pride, where there is arrogance, and man, that, that exists in all of us. Father God, would you, would you remove that? Would you scrape that away? God, give us a soft and humble heart uh, and ears that can hear you when you speak. Yeah, you, you, you called Samuel. He said, here I am, Lord. I'm listening. Your servant's listening. I pray that we would have ears that can hear you as well, ears that are close to your heart. 
that when you speak, God, you would help us to, to be quick to obey whatever it is you ask us to do, that we'd be so close to you, God, and we would hear uh, the guidance and direction you have for our lives, the way that you want to use us uh, to be an influence for your kingdom, for your glory, God. God, help us to hear you, help us to listen closely to you. God, would you just remove every trace of pride and arrogance in my heart? God, I don't want it there. It's gross. And God, I know you oppose the proud, and I don't want you to oppose me. God, give me a humble heart, because we know it's the humble that you promote and use and exalt, God. God, help us to be humble before you. Keep us humble before you, reliant on you, dependent on you in every way, God. God, we love you. Jesus, be glorified in our lives. Father, I pray also that you would bless each of these students that are here tonight. God, I know there's a variety of, of, of different issues and struggles, and students are stressed and overwhelmed. And spring break can't come quick enough. Uh, and, and some of them are in the thick of real difficulty and real struggle. Holy Spirit, would you meet them in the middle of that? God, would you be a comfort to students tonight? God, would they sense your presence, your nearness? Would they sense your great peace? Jesus, you promise you give peace, but it's not peace like the world gives. It is a real and lasting peace, a peace that remains. Same Philippians 4, that's a peace that passes all understanding. It's a peace when it doesn't even make sense to have peace. That's the peace that you guard our hearts and minds with. Jesus, we need that. Jesus, guard our hearts and minds with your peace. Help us to rest in you, be fully dependent on you. Jesus, be glorified in our life. We love you, Lord. Amen. To God be the glory. Amen. All right. So we will see you, some of you guys will see you Friday at Pizza and Theology in the, in the second floor UC Senate chamber to talk about um, in the problem of pain and suffering and evil in the world and how we reconcile that with the goodness of God. Uh, Saturday, I saw many of you guys signed up to go and help with that food outreach there at Believe in Church Saturday morning. I'm so excited. That's going to be really, really great. I'm going to send that list to Pastor Michael uh, in a little bit. Spooky? We need to figure that out. But we'll look at that list. We'll see who has cars, and we'll try to figure that out. Yeah, that great question, great question. Uh, and so, so that'll, be, that'll be this Saturday. We're going to serve with that food outreach with Believing. Uh, love you guys. Pray that you have a fantastic rest of your week.